Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. I had a pleasure today to talk to Neem, a fellow country person here in Canada in Toronto, about his journey and his company and kind of take in insights on what he did for the last 15 years. So Neem, can you please tell us about yourself and the company? Thank you, Evgeny. It's an honor to be here and very exciting to be able to share my insights on your podcast. Well, I've been in the security business for 30 years. I've been working with various organizations throughout their digital transformation and making sure that it occurs securely. Back in 2007, we opened a company called Critical Matrix, which was focused on consulting services and digital transformation. Through that business, we have built and sold several organizations and launched several companies to the market. I'm very excited to talk about Matrix Ventures today, which is a new adventure we've started focusing on helping companies launch into the marketplace securely. And what that means is to us, implementing security as part of the fabric of the company as well as the product. You know, 60% of startups fail because they did not take security in consideration and they get hacked and they're never able to recover from that. They lose investor confidence. They lose customer confidence and they end up closing doors. So we're here to prevent that from happening. I'm wondering, what was the motivation? Like, what have you been thinking about starting this company? It's been important in my mind that in the mid to sort of larger size startups or later stage startups to have this conversation. And I think as founders, one of the things that always gets overlooked is security because it's all about go to market you know, pre-revenue, get to revenue. And it's a big blind spot that I want to highlight. And I want to show that there's solutions out there that are affordable, timely, and achievable without pulling them back from their go-to-market timeline. Now, having an idea is great. Understanding if people are going to buy into your idea is different. So what kind of market validation you did before you went and ran this idea? I attended a lot of events in the private equity, angel investor, and venture capital market space. And I've been speaking to the people who would put money into Series A and Series B funding to help scale these startups into their next level. The other thing I did was I started having conversations at Toronto Starts and other startup community events, Elevate and Collision, with companies that I thought could use the service. And I've consulted with a few of them before. And they seem to say, aha, yeah, we didn't think about that. Yeah, no, we looked at it. it. It was not affordable. The risk of not having it was small enough that we could go ahead without it, things like that. So I wanted to make sure that one, I confirmed the need and two, that the people backing the solutions were aligned with me and then it made it a valid idea to pursue. Great. What did after? Did you need to hire people to build the framework or you had already something in mind? Yeah. So what makes this idea so cool is we're using existing frameworks that exist in the marketplace. So if I'm working with a healthcare organization, I'm sticking to 21 CFR sort of controls or HIPAA and regular organizations that it's around NIST, NIST 853, 171, ISO 27001. These are existing security controls and frameworks that we can quickly do an assessment on a company, identify gaps, and tell them what the best practices towards remediation are. 
And I think not reinventing the wheel and using standards that larger organizations also align to make our value proposition complete because now we are truly aligning you for growth and scale. And part of that growth and scale could be selling or getting acquired. Making, do a validation on the compliance, on the framework doesn't make them secure. It just basically, you put in a ground level on where they are right now. And I'm guessing based on top of this, you can now create a roadmap for them to exit. You got it. You got it. That's exactly it. So I think you can't manage what you can't measure. And in order to understand what you need to do, you need to understand where you are. So we bring visibility to that and we allow them to recognize and view where the gaps are. And then we produce a prioritized roadmap and we help them fill those holes or we bring the right team to the table to fill those holes so that they can focus on continuing forward with their go-to-market strategy and their product evolution and new builds and releases. And we focus on making sure they're safe and secure. Let's go deeper on the right team. I'm going to switch a bit more from security and more to the human aspect. What does it mean the right team for you? How do you know this is the right team for this customer? How do you hire the people that you know not just going to be smart and will know NIST and CIS and everything, but also going to have the soft skills and the human aspect to come into a company and make sure the other people are going to want to work with them? Absolutely. Talent is hard to find in today's marketplace, especially in the security space. But the most important philosophy we use in building our team is attitude and culture. So there's a three-dimensional model. There's culture, capability, and competency. So in our capability, we make sure the person understands the general principles of what we're trying to achieve. When it comes to competency, this is where you want to make sure the person has the right training, the right access to tools. If you might not have all of these today, these can be provided to you. You don't need to come to the table with them. But the most important measure on that three-dimensional chart we hire on is culture. What are the values and how do you align? What is your passion? And is doing this job aligning with your passions? You wake up every day and don't feel like you're going to work. And then the third aspect of this being key is, are you going to be able to function in a moral, ethical, and sort of positive energy way of delivering the solution, which is what we really like to focus on. We want to make sure that our clients align and our employees align with our morals and values, which is ensuring that there's trust, honesty, and transparency every step of the way. We're not a sales-driven organization. We're an organization driven by doing what's right. Can you tap more on the culture? You just mentioned a couple of very good things, but it's a, like it's a big names, it's a big words. You actually sit down, guys, and write your culture. What's good, what's bad? How do you want people to approach different things? Yeah, we talk about that. We talk about understanding what motivates you. We talk about what makes you feel positive about yourself. What are the things equally that make you feel negative about yourself? And in aligning that we're bringing you into our space of this organization that has this certain level of energy and value tied to it, are you going to be the atom that is attracted to this or the atom that's going to be the energy that kind of pushes away? Because we can teach you the capability side and the competency side, but the culture side is who you are as a person. And if you don't fit, then you might be the wrong person in the right role. And we don't want that. Fair. How would this part, or where is the connection with the customer come to? Because I may be very smart, very driven, 
very elegant or very polite, but I cannot connect on a human level with the customer. And then you will need to spend five days, mm -hmm. 10 days with someone that I need to work for them, not they need to work for me. I think customers in our space are not looking to sit with the genius every single time. I think they're looking for someone who has confidence, but can not be arrogant, who is strong and understanding of the problem, but vulnerable enough to say, hey, I need to take this away and ask. And having the courage to say, I don't know, but I know how to find out. This is really lacking. And I think, especially you're a consultant, I'm a consultant. We've been in, in front of our clients, especially in the early days of my career, starting in big four consulting. And I remember being told, you can never tell the customer, you don't know. Don't get caught searching something on the internet. And it's like, well, you know, those things don't make sense anymore. If you're not asking Google or checking online or doing like a peer check-in just to figure out how things are done, then you actually are not functioning in the most efficient way possible. So that level of transparency is key. Yeah, I'm laughing because I recorded an episode earlier this week. I was on somebody else's episode with Black Eyed, and we actually spoke about this. How do you work with the customer? And we just spoke about it. It's totally okay to say to the customers that I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you because there's just so many moving parts and so many change in the industry. And I also want to add here that it's not just you cannot say you don't know. I think it's back to what you're saying, but confidence. How do you say you don't know? You say, I don't know, and you have no idea what to do. Well, like, yeah, I don't know, but I will figure out. I'm completely 100% sure I'll figure out how to fix this problem. So you build rapport. You build uh, trust from the customer that they're in the good hands, and it's totally fine to get there. Like it, really like it. But the people that are listening to us right now and potentially want to go and do consulting work and work with customers, and they're like, oh, my God, I was never understood. I cannot say I don't know. What other advices or tips you can provide maybe that they can build a character better to be customer-oriented person. Look, to be in this industry, you have to be passionate about people, not passionate about technology. A good consultant connects with the customer and the pain they're feeling of the problem before they can come up with a solution of how it's going to be solved. Because if you can't relate to the person and you can't relate to the pain, then you can't also relate to the policy, the procedure, the politics, all the other situations that result in that pain. And I like to say that the good old story that in consulting, in every scenario, there's a story being told. There's a villain, there's a superhero, there's a sensei who's helping the superhero, and then there's the resolution to the problem. And we always want to be in the sensei situation where we're guiding the superhero, which is our stakeholder. And the villain is the pain and the problem. And in that storytelling approach, relatability is your greatest asset. Technology, you can learn. Tools, you can learn. People, it's in your order. It's not. I like the story. Really good analogy. What about kind of a way when we will say the customer is always right? Like what's your take on this? Is the customer always right? Or there is, it depends situation here as well. See, this is where you have to balance confidence and arrogance. The customer is not always right. They think they know something because, quote, I did my own research, quote. But that might have been research and response in a specific context of a specific situation 
but maybe not in the macro view we're looking at the pain as a consulting firm or as a consultant. So this is where our ability to relate to the customer, reading a situation, aligning ourselves with their pain and having enough confidence and courage to say, yeah, I hear you, you're partially right or not right at all, here's why, and this is what I think so, and here's what I suggest. But I'm willing to test your theory, but I think this is the way you need to go. And now if you have a good relationship and the customer's bought into the factor of trust with you, they're gonna say, you know what? I'm not the expert, that's why you're here. I'll follow you. But if you haven't established that credibility, and if you haven't established that trust, and three months into an engagement, the customer's still, still telling you what to do, it means you're not doing something right. Name me almost like a Bible for consulting, you know, how to approach to people. This is great, I like it. <laughs> I've been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> so let's tap into tasks. We all human being, we all have priorities. We all have trying to balance multiple things, could be family, kids, business. What is your approach to task management? And everybody scream, ASAP, I need this right now. So task management is always a problem because you have five clients and every client thinks, just like in university, when professors assign homework, they think your class is the, their class is the only class you're in. And customers are the same way. You only work for them as far as they're concerned. I think it's more important to be accountable to a schedule and showing progress than managing a task. See, tasks lead to a bigger deliverable or a bigger action that you need, you're accountable for. But if you're the procrastinating type and you're never showing progress, you're never moving forward and you miss your deadline, the customer's like, well, you've been sitting on this for three weeks. I, I got nothing from you. But if you communicate, you bring visibility, you share information along the way, then task management becomes less of a problem and it's more objectives and schedule. And if you demonstrate progress and there's changes to schedule, people are usually accommodating. If you don't demonstrate progress and you want to change the schedule, they're not accommodating. Thank you. Thank you. If you can go back 30 years ago, before you start your consulting career, what would you do differently, potentially? You're still going to open the company. I'm not saying you're going to become a different person, but what would we do differently in the same business you are right now? Uh, that's a loaded question. I think my management training and my leadership education that I have taken came very late in my career. And that has to do with my arrogance when I was in my 20s. Hey, look at me. I know what I'm doing. I get the technology. You should just do what I tell you to do, which comes with that bravado, but with that inexperienced youth. I think I should have probably admitted that I have a lot more to learn than I actually knew and taken my management training and also aligned myself with a career coach a lot sooner than I did. I think if I had been able to admit my own weaknesses at a younger age, I would be way further ahead in my career than I am now. So have a mentor earlier in your career, probably a good idea. And admit your weaknesses and seek guidance very early. Yeah. Great. Let's switch gears completely. Let's talk about the dark side. The dark side is the time where we talk about stuff that didn't really align as we expected, could be good, could be bad, we maybe learned something from the experience, or we just had an awful day and wanted to quit everything and stop doing what we're doing. Tell us some stories without mentioning names and companies. Oh, definitely bad experience in my, the first business that I had sold in the early 2000s. 
we had a huge contract with the government agency and they were pretty much continuing to give us the work. We were guaranteed to do it. But what we had to do was commit to free products and samples in order to do demonstrations across the country. And again, young, very concerned about making money and very not interested in investing or spending money. I foolishly argued the point where the business ended up getting RFP'd and we lost because we were not the cheapest service provider. Had I been able to, at that time, relate more to the pain of the leader who was already helping me for two years and then telling me, hey, why don't you set up these kiosks across the country in these government offices and we can all see the technology. And I had listened to that feedback. I think I would have been in a better position in that business. It's again, a balance of confidence and arrogance. Another great story is understanding that when you're in a bad situation and you're in with a partner or you're in with a business transaction that is going on for a while, realizing that it's not the right situation, it's a bad situation and saying, you know what, this is not going to work. We need to stop as opposed to making internal excuses and saying, hey, you know what, it will be better tomorrow. It'll get better next week. I like to say that it's like being in a bad relationship. When you know that toxicity is there and it's not going to get better, know how to stop doing it and get out. And this is very important with customers because sometimes you know you're not going to get paid. You know that there's nothing you can do to fix the situation, but yet we feel obligated or compelled to not want to say, stop, this isn't working out. Let's just be friends. And I think Understanding whether it's a business partner or a customer or a special project that you're on, if the vibe isn't right, the energy isn't there, and you're consistently not able to stay up, you go up and you come down, you go up and you come down, just know that situation is not for you. Step away. There's something else that's going to come your way. I think we're all intrinsically motivated to continue doing what we're doing, hoping to get different results, but that is also the definition of insanity. There's no shame in saying this wasn't for me. So just have the courage to do that. Thank you, Nim. A lot of great advice. Thank you very much. Time passed real quick on the recording. We may need to do it again. You have a lot of good advices there in your brain. So thank you very much for being here today. Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. I hope that the information I shared is going to benefit some people. And you know, if you do want to reach out or if you do have questions, please reach out to Evgeny and get a hold of me. Thank you.